you. Uh, I'm going to read Psalm 51 now and then invite Andrew up. So do get it open in your Bible. Psalm 51. If you're after a title for your notes, uh, experiencing God when we mess up. Experiencing God when we mess up. Verse 1, have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me, against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight? So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me, and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O oh God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. Thank you, Lily. It would be great if we could have that passage open in front of us, Psalm 51. Um, just to say, um, as an introduction, three of my books are still there, <laughs> and I've made the decision, um, if they're not gone by the time I do the talk tomorrow morning, I've decided to be very offended. <laughs> so please take them away. I mean, even if you just want to toss them in the recycling, that's fine, but I just don't want them to be there. So it would make 
a happy man, very old. If you take those books away, please, that would be great. That was deliberate. Okay. <laughs> uh, where have we got to so far? We're talking about experiencing God. We looked at Paul. Experiencing God when it's all too much. We looked at Mary Magdalene. Experiencing God when I least expect it. And now we're looking at David. Experiencing God when I've messed up. Let's pray again. Father, we thank you that we have your word in our hands. Please take our lives into your hands and speak into them. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I guess most of us know the backstory to this psalm, and it's written up there anyway for us at the top of the psalm, if you have a look. Uh, for the director of music, a psalm of David, when, when the prophet Nathan came to him after David committed adultery with Bathsheba. So David was the king, uh, and he saw Bathsheba, and he thought, yeah, this is, she's nice, uh, brought her into the palace, had sex with her. Um, and then um, he gets the news that Bathsheba's pregnant. So he gets Uriah, um, who is Bathsheba's wife, sent back from the war. And Uriah comes back, and he talks to Uriah, and then says to Uriah, before you go back to the, to the war tomorrow, go, go and spend the night at home. You're here anyway. Because he's thinking, yeah, he'll sleep, he'll have sex with his wife, and then, they'll th they'll, then he'll think that the baby is his. And Uriah says, no, I, I, you know, my, my fellow soldiers are not home, so they can't do that, so I'm not going to do that. And then he goes back to the war the next day, and David sends a message that Uriah should be put in the front row at the next attack, and Uriah gets killed. So David's done three things, adultery, deceit, murder. And God sends the prophet Nathan, and Nathan tells David a story. Do you remember this? There was a rich man who had loads of, of cattle and sheep and lambs and stuff, and there was a poor man who just had one lamb. And the rich man got a visitor so he wanted to prepare a meal for his guests. Instead of using his own, one of his own lambs or one of his own animals, the rich man took the lamb, the one lamb from the poor man and killed it and used it for the meal. And David is incensed. David says, that man, that's awful. That man deserves to die. And Nathan looks at him and says, you're the man. It's you. And David, David's world starts falling in because he suddenly realizes, yeah, he's been, it's been revealed. He's a sinner. And God works in his heart. And God, God brings David to repentance. And this is the prayer that David prays. And it's great that we've got access to this prayer. And that's why I've called it experiencing God when, we, when I've messed up. This doesn't mean that this psalm is only relevant if you've committed adultery and murder. But a lot of us have. 
in our minds, even if not literally, but we may have done it literally. But whatever the sin is, we need forgiveness because we're dirty. So this is a great psalm. I must say this psalm has brought me great joy in the last 12 months. This psalm has brought me great joy. Um, I don't pray the exact words of this psalm. I'm not suggesting you learn the psalm off by heart, although for goodness sake, I'm in a church where some people have learned the letter to the Galatians off by heart. (laughs) But the basic sort of facts that come out, the things that come out in this psalm, I think they're things we should pray often. Every day would be great. Because we're, we're all messing up every day. We're all sinning, sinning. We're sinners. So let's be open to the Holy Spirit as we look at Psalm 51. Um, look at the beginning here. You'll see David calling on God, asking God for forgiveness. Um, he says uh, at the end of verse 1, Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Three different ways of saying Please forgive me. There are lots of threes in this psalm, by the way, which probably doesn't interest you at all, but it interests me. So he's saying, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, cleanse me from my sin. And on what basis is he doing that? He's doing it on the basis of what he knows God is like. Do you see in verse 1? God God is merciful, God is loving, and God is compassionate. Yeah? Because God is merciful, loving, and compassionate. Please forgive me. Wash me clean from my sin. So this is David calling out to God. It's a psalm asking God for forgiveness. Now, there are three main things that David tells God in this psalm, and I think we need to tell God these things often. Firstly, in verses 3 to 6, what I'm like what I'm like. I need to tell God what I'm like. Um, I'm dirty. Verse 3. I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. I'm guilty. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. That seems very strange. He hadn't just sinned against God. He sinned against Bathsheba and he sinned against Uriah. But this is a Hebrew way of saying it's not, David's not denying that. David's just saying, the person I've sinned against most is God. That's why he says against you, you only, have I sinned. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. And verse 5, I'm rotten. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. That doesn't mean that David's mother had committed adultery. It simply means that David's saying... I didn't become a sinner at some point after my birth. I was born a sinner. Some people are born tennis players. We are all born sinners. Comes naturally to do our own thing, to turn our backs on God and to behave as if he wasn't there. Doesn't it? So he's saying, I'm dirty, I'm guilty, I'm rotten. That doesn't mean there's only bad in us. Look at verse 6. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb and you taught me wisdom in that secret place. But we are sinners and we need to admit it. We need to tell God what we're like. Now, I know that you may be sitting there thinking, well, yes, hang on. I don't need to do that. God already knows what I'm like. It's it's important to tell him, to say it. Um, Hosea, the prophet, says, take words and come back to the Lord. 
That's Hosea chapter 14, verse 2. Take words, say it. Don't just think I'm a sinner. Tell God, take words. Hosea chapter 14, verse 2. So that's the first thing, verses 3 to 6. I should tell God what I'm like. It's a great thing. It's a relief to speak these things out, where to tell him where we've been selfish, where we've been thoughtless, where we've thought of ourselves and not of others. Whatever it is, what I'm like. Secondly, in verses 7 to 12, David, uh, we should tell God what we, what we want, what I want, what I want. I nearly called this, this section, verses 7 to 12, what I need. Uh, but it's possible to need something and not to want it. So this is what I want. It's telling God what I want. And David asks for three things in verses 7 to 12. The first is forgiveness. Verse 7, cleanse me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me and I shall be whiter than snow. Uh, and it's there again in verse 9. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. Uh, notice in verse 7 he says, wash me. Uh, no, he says, first of all, cleanse me. Then he says, wash me. And in verse 9, blot out my iniquity. And those three things, the other way round, came at the end of verse 1 and in verse 2. Blot, wash and cleanse. Yeah, I think that's interesting, but I, yeah, that doesn't matter if I'm the only one in the room who thinks that. He's asking for forgiveness. He's asking God to forgive him. It's what the whole psalm is about. That's what verses one and two were about. It's the first thing David wants is forgiveness, and we want that. We need it, and we want it every day, don't we? Forgiveness. Second thing he wants is joy. Now have a look, please, at verse 8. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. And it's there at the beginning of verse 12 as well. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. He's asking for joy. Now, why does he ask for joy? I think this will you'll absolutely resonate with you, and this will make sense to you. You're probably all thinking of the answer anyway. Christians have joy. There's a basic joy in us. We're rejoicing in Jesus. I'm, I'm coming to the New Testament now. Yeah? We rejoice in Jesus. We have a j basic joy that's there. But if I decide to sin, or if I ac even accidentally sin, then the joy kind of disappears. I mean, it's especially true if I deliberately choose to sin. So if I say... I'm going to watch internet porn. It's only 15 minutes. It's not, not a problem. I'm going to watch it. The joy will go, doesn't it? If you choose sin, you lose joy. It's always true. The joy goes. And sometimes I've, I've given myself to a particular sin, and I've asked God to forgive me, and I believe he has forgiven me, but I'm still feeling awful afterwards. There's, there's no joy there. And it's because, of course, the Holy Spirit in, in my life, because I'm a Christian, Holy Spirit lives in me. He brings joy. That's part of the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, etc. Galatians 5.22. The joy is there. But when I grieve the Spirit by sinning, then the joy goes. It's logical, isn't it? You look very puzzled. I th really think it's logical. <laughs> um, and... 
That's why Paul says in um, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Don't grieve the Spirit. If we grieve the Spirit who lives in us by choosing sin or giving ourselves to sin, among other things that will happen, we're guilty then, but also we lose our joy. I'm going to quote to you what at the moment is my favorite verse in the Bible. I just think it's stunning. I'm not going to make this into a competition. I'll tell you now where it is. It's in the first letter of Peter, chapter 1, verse 8. And it's about Christians' relationship with Jesus. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Christians do love Jesus. I mean, you may be sitting there, you probably are thinking, I don't love him enough, I don't love him very much. That's true of all of us, we could love him more. But all Christians love Jesus. If if you're sitting there thinking, I'm not interested in Jesus, why would I want to love him? you're You're not a Christian. Every Christian loves Jesus. Though you have not, even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you're filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Uh, Peter's, I think, describing the normal Christian life. I think where the opportunity is there for us to experience joy. And actually, all Christians do experience joy. It may, you're sitting there thinking, yeah, but I'm, I don't know, no, not really. I'm not talking necessarily about chandelier swinging joy. But there is a basic joy there. There is actually in you a basic joy. For instance, you're a truster in Jesus, right? You believe that when he died on the cross, he died for your sins. And so you believe you're forgiven, don't you? Mm-hmm. That's great, isn't it? That's joy. Uh, you believe that Jesus rose from the dead and one day he's coming back and you're going to be with him in glory. You're going to see him face to face and you're going to be like him, don't you? You're looking forward to it? That's joy. You've got joy. So please don't write yourself off and think I haven't got joy. You have got joy. If you're a believer, you've got joy. But let's pray for an inexpressible and glorious joy. I think there's two reasons why we don't... I mean, it doesn't mean that it'll be obvious to everybody. It's just that... It is a feeling joy. You know, the British approach to talking about joy is to say, I have a very deep joy. <laughs> uh, it's such a, such a deep joy uh, that no one could ever guess that I've got it. In fact, it's such a deep joy, I can't even experience it myself because it's so deep. <laughs> I mean, that's just nonsense. Joy is a feeling. There's two reasons why we don't experience joy. One is sin, and we need to repent, we need to ask for forgiveness. And the other reason is we don't ask for it. I think it's James chapter 4, verse 2, says you don't get because you don't ask. When did you last ask God to give you joy? I bet you hardly ever have. I didn't, for years and years and years and years. Ask God for joy. He wants to give you joy. Inexpressible and glorious joy. 1 Peter 1.8. Take that verse to God. 
it'll, it'll express itself in different ways according to your personalities. But God wants us to have joy. So David asks for for, David wants forgiveness and he wants joy. And the third thing he wants, and it, you could guess what it's going to be, the third thing. It's obvious what the third thing is going to be. It's power. He's praying for power that he won't do these sins again. So have a look, please, at um, verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Verse 12, restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. That's basically asking for power so that he won't give himself. So the next time he sees somebody like Bathsheba, he won't think, "Mm, yeah, okay, let's go for it. That he'll have the power to say no to sin. Doesn't that make sense? Forgiveness, joy, and power. It absolutely makes sense. What I forgot to say earlier is the bit of this psalm that we don't need to pray because we're in the New Testament, in the New Covenant, is the end of verse 11, take, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. God will never take his Holy Spirit away from you. The Holy Spirit lives in you and he lives in you forever. Wow. Hallelujah. So please feel free to ignore, don't pray the second half of verse 11, please. <laughs> so there we are. We've done um, what I'm like. I'm dirty, I'm guilty, I'm rotten. What I, what I want, forgiveness, joy, and power, absolutely makes sense. If you just remember these things, you can use it in your prayers without turning up Psalm 51. And the third bit, that's from verse 13 through to the end, is what I'll do. What I'll do. When God's forgiven me, this is what I'll do, says David. Three things he'll do. Surprise, surprise. First one is in verse 13. I'll witness. Verse 13, then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. In other words, David's saying, I'm going to tell other people what God's done for me. He's forgiven me. He's given me joy. He's given me power. I'm going to tell other people about it. I want to tell other people so they also trust in God. Witness, it's a natural thing to want to do. When you've got good news, you want to share it. Um, it's, it could be that you that will tell people the story of how you became a Christian. Uh, I'm going to tell you the story about how my mother became a Christian, because I told you about how I became a Christian last night. My mother was um, one of the most difficult people I ever met, but I think I was one of the most difficult people she ever met. We, <laughs> so I, it wasn't all her fault. It was my fault, too. And she was, n- she was really very against my faith. And, um, yes, belittled it, made fun of it, wouldn't discuss it, it was just nonsense, stop. And um, I prayed and prayed and prayed, and for a time thought, I don't see how she'd ever become a Christian. She was so negative. And um, then I was in Austria, but obviously keeping in touch with home. My father had died by that time. Um, I should perhaps say about that, my father was an atheist, as far as I know, um, but I, so I don't, I don't know what happened to him at the end, whether he came to faith. Uh, I'll maybe say something about that if I've got time at the end. Uh, but anyway, let's talk about my mother. Um, so um, I gave her, because uh, she wouldn't talk about it, I gave her a little booklet called The Path to Peace. 
by Norman Warren. And it's about Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, which people of my, of my mother's generation know from their childhood. And I gave her this, and it's an, it's an evangelistic booklet. It's a gospel book, little book, a tiny thing, for old people, based on Psalm 23. And it talks about the Lord is my shepherd. And then it goes on, it goes on and explains that Jesus is the good shepherd and that he died for our sins so we could be forgiven. It's all there. It's wonderful. And I gave her this booklet, and she just said, huh. Um, I was brought up to, if you get a present you don't want, you say thank you and put it in a drawer. But she didn't even do that. She said, huh. But she didn't throw it away. It was just on the shelf. And when I was home from Austria, every you know, a few months I'd be home, and I'd see it sometimes in her room, and I'd say, oh, here's the booklet. Have you had a chance to read it? She said, no. And I was home one time. Uh, by this time, she'd begun to get Alzheimer's. Um, it wasn't you know, a sudden thing. It's obviously it's a process. But she'd begun to get Alzheimer's. She was no longer able to live on her own. She was living with my brother and sister-in-law. And I was coming home quite regularly because I didn't know how much longer she'd know me. And when I was home one time, I saw the booklet in her room. And I said, oh, here's the booklet. Um, I forgot to say, we, did, we told her that she had Alzheimer's. Um, we didn't use the word Alzheimer's, but we told her, because she knew there was a problem, and we didn't want to lie to her, so we told her. But we said, we love you, and we're going to look after you. Anyway, I was home, and there was the booklet, and I said, oh, here's the booklet. Have you had a chance to read it? And she said to me, oh, no, my eyes hurt when I read. So I said, without any faith at all, I'm sorry about your eyes. If you like, I'll read bits of it to you. And she said, yes. And every afternoon, I was home for a week to give my brother and sister-in-law a bit of a break. We used to go, I took my mother for a drive every afternoon, and we'd go have tea in Tesco's cafe and then come home. And she was quite clear and lucid in the afternoons. And I would read to her for five minutes out of this booklet. And she listened. And when I, when I mentioned the name Jesus, she didn't say stop, which she would have done earlier. And we, in, the, in the course of that week, I read pretty well the whole of the booklet. And at the end of the booklet, there is a, um, a, a Revelation 3.20 prayer. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and open the door, I will come in. And there's a prayer that you can respond to that. And I, I, didn't, I didn't want to push my mother into anything. She was frail. So I just read her the prayer. And I said, have you ever opened the door of your heart to Jesus? And she said, I pray every day. Well, she'd always said that she prayed every day, but she would never tell what, say what she prayed. A friend of mine once said to her, I expect you pray for John and Andrew. John's my brother. And she said, no, they can pray for themselves. <laughs> so I have no idea what she was praying, if she prayed. My brother thinks it's not true that she prayed, but I don't know. I said, it's great that you pray, but have you ever opened the door of your heart to Jesus? And she said, I pray every day. And I said, and I think the Lord gave me this. This doesn't happen to me a lot. I, I suddenly thought, and I said it to her, uh, that's great that you pray every day, but you know it's possible to talk through a closed door. And she sat there and she said, yes. So I said, can I pray with you? And she said, yes. I didn't pray the prayer. I just held her hands and I thanked God for Jesus and for my mother, and I prayed that 
she would be able to open the door of her heart to Jesus and trust Jesus. And I did that for the next few nights before I went back to Austria. And the next time I came back from Austria, she, by that time, was in a care home because it was just impossible at home. It was too, too complicated. And I went to visit her. And when I walked into her room, she was singing Daisy, Daisy, Give Me Your Answer Do, which is a really old song, not a Christian song at all. And I gave her a kiss and I sang this with her. And then I, was, I said, what's your favourite you, song? I mean, I was just making conversation with an old lady. And she looks at me and she says, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so, which is an old Christian song. I nearly went to the manager and said, look, you've given me the wrong room number because it's, <laughs> this is not my mother. But it was her. And we sang the first verse in the chorus. She knew the words of the first verse in the chorus. It starts off, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And after we'd sung this, I said, why is that your favourite song? She wouldn't have passed an evangelical exam, but fortunately you don't need to pass an evangelical exam. But she'd got that because Jesus died, we can be forgiven. And I said to her, can I pray with you? And she said yes, and I held her hands. And I was probably wrongly going to pray a long prayer because my heart was full. But all I got out was, Father, thank you that Mother and I know that when, when we die, we will go to heaven because Jesus died on the cross for our sins. And she said, yes! <laughs> I thought, she's not just converted, she's charismatic. <laughs> It's one of the biggest miracles of my life. Um, she came to faith. She was trusting in Jesus. Uh, she went deeper down into Alzheimer's. I th but by the end, maybe she, maybe she knew the gospel and understood the gospel better than I do. Because the Holy Spirit was teaching her. I don't know. But she was trusting in Jesus. I, I, that's witness, really. It's an example of what God can do. Don't give up praying for people that you love. It's just about my father. I've no idea if my father came to faith. He would never talk about, about the gospel at all. He wasn't angry, but he would just say, I don't want to talk about it. So he would never discuss it. And uh, as far as I know, he didn't know any other believers. I don't know that, but I mean, I, don't, I wasn't aware that he knew any other Christians. So I was, as I was praying for him, I thought, well, how can I possibly help him? And then the idea came into my mind to offer, ask him to read a book for me. So I found a good gospel book that I thought would appeal to him. And I got this book and I put it in the boot of my car so it was ready. I couldn't leave it in the house because if mother found it, this was in her pre-Christian days, she would have been angry. So it was in the boot of my car. The three of us are watching television one evening. And uh, he gets up to go to the loo, so he gets to go upstairs. And that's the moment when I suddenly thought, oh, this is the moment, because she won't be around. So I went to the car, got the, got the book out, went upstairs. He was just coming out of the loo, was surprised to see me on the top landing. <laughs> and I'd always said to people when I was you know, saying, you know, offer people a, a, a gospel book, do it in a relaxed way, otherwise you make them nervous. You know? But I'm standing in front of my own father, and I'm saying... Um, <laughs> this is a book. <laughs> and he looked at me and he said, yes. <laughs> and I said to him, um, uh, 
this is a book about, about Christian faith. I know you don't agree with my faith, but I know that you love me, and I'd love you to understand my faith, even if you don't agree with it. Would you do me a favor and read this book for me? And he said, yes. And he took the book. And a, few, a couple of months later, when I was home again, he gave me the book back and said, thank you, I've read it. And he had integrity. He definitely read it. And I said, what do you think? And I said, uh, and he said, I don't agree with it. And he sa I said, oh, why? And he said, I don't want to talk about it. Um, he later, he read another Christian book for me. He knew the gospel. I've no basis to say that he came to faith before he died, but I've no basis for saying he didn't. He knew the gospel. Who knows what the Holy Spirit did in his life? Maybe there's somebody that you could offer a book to and just ask them if they do you a favor and read it. Hey, I'm getting lost here. Uh, um, what I'll do, the first one is witness. I'll witness. Back to the plot. <laughs> secondly, I'll, secondly, I'll worship. Of course I will. Uh, look at verse 14. Uh, Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. I'll worship you, says David, because you've given me forgiveness and joy and power. I'll worship you. I mean, that's why we worship, isn't it? And the third thing is, I'll keep repenting. I'll keep admitting my sin and asking for forgiveness. Verse 16, you do not delight in sacrifice, so I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. This is not David saying he doesn't agree, God doesn't like the sacrificial system in the Old Testament. This is another Hebrew way of saying, what really, what, what's the point of all these sacrifices if the heart is not in it? So verse 17, my sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. And we need to keep doing that. We need to keep coming back to God and telling him what we're like, what we want, and what we'll do. It's so simple to remember those three things and to use that in our prayers. Verse 18, may it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. That's all Old Covenant stuff, of course, because this is all in the Old Covenant, in the Old Testament. But it's a wonderful prayer, isn't it, this Psalm 51? I, think it, I hope some of you really will use it. What I'm like, what I want, what I'll do. If we said to David, yeah, but why do you think God will forgive you? You're obviously asking God for forgiveness, and you believe that God is forgiving you, but on what basis is God forgiving you? Then he would say, well, haven't you read verse 1? God is merciful and loving and compassionate. And we could say to David, yes, that's great too, but he's also just, so he must punish sin. So how is it possible that you're forgiven? And I don't think David would have had a clear answer to that. But we do, don't we? Because Jesus died as the perfect sacrifice. So on the cross, till on the cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. 
Jesus died so we could be forgiven. This is such good news. I'm nearly finished, but I need to say this because it gets me worshipping and I want to encourage you to worship as, worship as well. As trusters of Jesus, we are forgiven not because of what we do for God, but because of what God did for us when Jesus died. How does that sound? Any joy there? We are forgiven not because of what we do for God, but because of what God did for us when Jesus died. He died in our place. He took the blame. He took the punishment. And because we're trusting him, we are forgiven now and forever. Hallelujah. Please take a minute to look at Psalm 51. Think about those three things. What I'm like. What I want. What I'll do. Is there one part of that that the Spirit is particularly nudging you about? Let's just have a silence. And now please talk to your neighbour about it. Great. Let's come back together, please. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this Psalm of David. Thank you for what you did in David's life. Thank you that you brought him to repentance and you've brought us to repentance too. 
Thank you that you are merciful and loving and compassionate. Help us, please, not just now, but in the coming days this year, to tell you what we're like. Pray that you'd help us to tell you what we want. We want forgiveness. We want joy. We want power. And help us to tell you what we'll do. We'll witness, we'll worship, and we'll keep repenting. Father, we thank you so much that you want a relationship with us. And we're in that relationship because we trust in Jesus, your son. Thank you so much that his spirit is living inside us. Father, more and more this year, we want to experience you at work in our lives. And we pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.